tweet at TodaySOR. Genuinely, I don't know what's coming next. Uh, Alistair McConnell has been, he's been a wonderful colleague, a producer, before that a researcher. And I, I haven't seen him for the last two weeks, except with headphones on. He's been delving into the archives and here's some of what he found. Good morning and hello again. Sean O'Rourke here. It's good to be back as intended on the 2nd of September, but not quite as expected. Three hours earlier than usual and for two hours every weekday. What a prospect. You're afraid of Sean O'Rourke. <laughs> you're sitting outside, it's like sitting outside the principal's office when you're sitting in the corridor waiting to come on. You My can God. mess anywhere else, but you can't mess with Sean O'Rourke. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was true. Really, you led with your chin. You got a right belt. But you did believe that I, once, did I you? I did say that at the time, yes, I did. Did you believe it when you said it? I did at the time. Surely the thing to do was not so much threaten to leave, but threaten to stay. I'm going to ask the guys to shut your mic down or pull down the channel if you don't stop. Donald Trump, good morning. Good morning. Now I was leading the polls, as you know, last time. I was beating everybody. Might you consider letting your name go forward? Stranger things have happened. We'll see what happens. Do all these jokes people make about your hair, do they bother you? Oh, they you? kill me. It is my hair, as you've probably noticed. I don't wear a hair piece. I have the quote here, actually. And I don't want to get in trouble a second time over Donald Trump's hair. But anyway, here we go. A contained island after scalp reduction surgery, surrounded by <laughs> a furry circle. <laughs> A furry circle of hair. <laughs> Sorry, I can't go on. <laughs> it, it's hard to keep a straight face. Kenda Kenny, good morning. Good morning, Sean. It's all in line with a quote from a government strategist. We will scare the shit out of them in the last 10 days. So, Tishuk, what's your scare story this morning? Good morning to you, Eamon Gilmore. Good morning, Sean. I would have liked to finish the game, but I was carrying a lot of injuries from the first half. I decided to bow to the inevitable. Jerry Adams, Uchtaran Sinn Féin, good morning. Imagine more, Sean. You seem to be suggesting that every euro you earn above 100,000 will only be taxed at 7 cent in the euro. That, that is not the case. That is the case, Sean. That it, is the case. That has been uh, carefully worked out with us. Leo Varadkar, good morning. It's probably a bit premature to ask you this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Where did it all go wrong in this campaign for you? Michal Martin, good morning to you. Good morning, Sean. If you don't succeed this time, why should you get a fourth chance? Well, Sean, it's not about Michal Martin. Mary Lou MacDonald, Sinn Féin president. You're coy about saying you are a realistic prospect for the office of Taoiseach. We uh, wish to be in government, lead a government that delivers real change. What's coy about that? Magella Moynihan, good morning to you. You're welcome to the studio. They thought they'd break me. They didn't. I'm a very strong woman. Neve Cosgrave is in studio now. Good morning to you, Neve. My exact words were, the gendarmes lied. I said, when you left my home, you walked away with my dignity and my humanity. And that's when he looked away. Brian Toomey, good morning and you're welcome. Apparently I had a 3% chance of survival. I was dead for six seconds. That willpower and that determination, I think, really helps. I've been sitting in this chair for almost seven years and there have been very few moments that quite take your breath away quite like that. Alive and kicking, one footy in the grave. Fernando La Fuente says, good morning to you. Good morning. I mean, I'm finding it a little bit funny because... Basically, I'm not dead. That's the way he um, goes. That's his modus operandi. You heard it here first. Sean, I was injured. 
Sean. What exactly happened? Were you holding Sean, two Sean. bottles? He's a curious man, isn't he? Um, I met him There last might be year. a pair of you in it. Go on. You don't intend to make an announcement until next September. Until after the summer next year, yes. Okay, President. Michael, Does that keep you happy, Sean? I, I'm always happy. At the ploughing. Brian O'Connell and Paddy O'Gorman. Morning, You're Sean. We're going on tour, Sean, the two of us, on Monday. We're setting off around the country in the camper van. We got the offer of a bed in Bearhaven. Very nice lady. Myself and Snoop, we're maintaining a healthy distance between us. But uh, he's a pretty sedate little fella, and he's, he's good-mannered, and uh, the dog isn't bad either. Paddy O'Gorman is here. I think, yes. Paddy, you're kind of regretting not having a guitar. You could have joined in. <laughs> I was watching you there. You were in a kind of a reverie. Well, it was very beautiful. Valerie Cox spent 11 years reporting for this programme. But you know, Sean, some Dublin people now are taking it up as a hobby. And they spend their weekends. Now, it wouldn't you be with the horses. Joking. No, I'm not. Well, Evelyn O'Rourke has spent a morning digging around our wheelie bins to see if we're learning more. The glamour gigs just keep coming my <laughs> way, don't they, Sean? Time's running out the door, you're running in. Ground wasn't level. Uh, it would be like me taking you on in a political debate. Uh, I just don't think it would be a fair contest. And I admire he's. I give Sean a little chance. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thanks, maybe, maybe just a small chance. It's been my great privilege to sit in the best current affairs chair in Irish broadcasting. But nothing is forever. I've had an absolute blast. Can I just finally say I wouldn't have done this interview with anybody else, okay? Well, that's flattering. Olivia, thank you so much. Well, Barbanach, then talk. Barbanach, Douglas Barbua. Wasn't that just beautiful? Alistair McConnell, thank you so much. I knew you had it in you, and uh, that was just gorgeous. Um, I, I will treasure that. I might even listen to it again a few times. Now, I am joined by three wonderful people in studio. I mean, what we're doing with a historian, Jeremy Ferger, beats me, but anyway, he's here across the desk, as indeed is my good friend, Mary-Louise O'Donnell, and my colleague, Niamh Lyons, is here as well. Niamh, let you well, be talking. what do you think of that? I mean, do you think it proper... It's hard to distill those seven years back down into a few minutes like uh, Al agonised about it but was there anything there that stood out for you what stood out for me was Trump I mean tell us the background well, it that. was it was quite it was quite the occasion alright Brian O'Connell was the one who set that occasion up it was in the middle of the European elections I think in what was it 2014 and we had to do regional OB so the Munster yeah. one or the Ireland South one was there in Clare and it happened to coincide with Trump and um Interestingly, uh, and we set up and, and, and he, we did a long interview um, and uh, he, he didn't really take kindly to the question about the hair. And in fact, I had forgotten about this, but uh, Tara reminded me of it yesterday. He came into the room afterwards shouting at me, Sean, Sean, I thought you were one of the good guys, uh, <laughs> but you brought up the hair, Sean, that's not good. And he paced up and down with his face changing colour. Uh, the colleagues in the Wildaways who were playing in studio that day or in the OB in the hotel there in Dunbeg were kind of looking on open-mouthed. And then afterwards, uh, I had the temerity. When we came out, the crew was outside and we were loading up the OB van with Jimmy Breslin and the guys and uh, he was walking across the front of the hotel and I was bold enough to say to him Mr Trump uh, would you like to stand in with a with, with us for a picture and uh, he said no I will not he said uh, you shouldn't have asked that question and I said look there's no such thing as a bad question this is what I always say yeah. there's only a bad answer his hackles were kind of up anyway because he had had a, a weird beginning to that trip when he there was had. the Michael Noonan had greeted him and gotten a bit of flack for the Colini who were dancing at the, you know, and the fiddle players and whatever. So I think maybe he was kind of ready for you in a way. Well, he actually, funny you should say that because he did say, I knew you were going to be like that. I yeah. saw, I read the papers and I saw the, 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 the treatment I got and I knew you would behave like that. 
And then as it happened, um, Brian O'Connell, being a good uh, golfer, um, unlike me, he'd arranged a round for, we would play and there was myself and Brian and Jimmy Breslin and my good friend and mentor and head of security, LB Brennan, were, were out on the course and we were on, I think, about the fifth tee box and Trump goes by and he's surveying his real estate in a, one of these golf buggies and he pulls up and he had calmed down. And he said, look, he said, ah, it's OK. He said, look, you know, I probably would have done the same, which I thought was admirable, mm. as you did. You know, so he was friends and he stood. And this was the biggest piece of hyperbole. He watched us drive off and he actually admired my drive, a good <laughs> drive. <laughs> I think he used to engage a lot in what he called plausible hyperbole. And he cert- hyperbole and he certainly did that day. But anyway. Yeah. Is there anything else that stands out for you from that time? Um, there are lots of things, uh, but I think, you know, most of all, they're the people who, they weren't the politicians. Of the, I mean, I'm really grateful to everybody who, who's come to be interviewed on the programme. Um, but the people, you know, as recently uh, as, as last week, um, we had people on who were in very difficult positions. Um, and um, with like Celine Byrne, you know, talking yeah. about her lockdown, lockdown anthem and her dad was at that store and he died a couple of days ago and she spoke so beautifully about it. People uh, like, um, you know, who, who were up against it, looking after kids, um, people uh, like you, you, in, in very difficult situations, ordinary people like that. Dr. Gertrude Ronan, Gertie Ronan, who was a doctor, GP, she knew she was coming towards the end, but she wanted to talk about her cancer diagnosis and about the work of the hospice. I mean, so many Gnaudini mm. as well. And also the people that, you know, that, that, that Mary Louise has been reporting on, people like the, those who speak to Evelyn and Brian and Paddy. I mean, Paddy is the castral GTX of this yeah. station. He gets to the places nobody else Well, you reach. did say you found it a difficult change of pace when you came from the newsroom coming over here to Radio Centre and all of a sudden you had to start emoting and you had to start doing the things that you'd really been trained not to do in the past. Uh, that is true and it took time and patience and, you know, People, producers were very gently leading me in directions I hadn't been going in before and they did a super job, Kay uh, and, and Margaret and, and Tara and everybody else and Elaine. But look, you know, yeah. enough about me. Well, Mary Louise O'Donnell has something that she wanted to say. No, I was just... First oh, this of all, is where I start doing the Vincent Brown. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. No, but I tell you, I, it's been a real privilege to be around you, you know, for the last seven years because you were talking there about people because but it's really just about stories, isn't it? Whether they're mm. political elites or social elites. But I came in kind of with stories about farmers and fishermen and monks and priests and set dancers and thatchers and lammers and mussels at the bottom of the of the lakes of Mayo and um, country and dancing the, and men the with the sewers the man from the sewers going down the sewers and and the embalmers and and also the men with the big huge muscly arms like tree trunks you know at the country dancing in Longford and I always had a great um Listener, you, you can come in with a story, but you have to have a listener. And you loved the listening and you loved being part of like what you'd call adult awe about the story. You'd sit and listen to the story and you went to interject to push it on or to get out the best in me, you know. So 
you can have the greatest story in the world and you can come in with projects and people and organisations, but if you haven't the listener presenter, you know, and you are a brilliant listener presenter. Would you go out of listen, no, come here, the whole were. thing is, look, it's, you it's, were, it's, it's much Because it's like being in your sitting room at home when you come in and you'd be telling this great story and you could see the enthusiasm on your face because you knew then you were doing the listening for the nation, you know. And especially because it's very difficult to jump from, as I say, the political and the social elite to the ploughing and the fellas talking about bull semen. You know, <laughs> do you remember that? And I was, I was. All human the, life was there. No, but I was white in the face listening to this. But you, but realistically, it's all about the herd, you see, and the bloodlines of our Mary great Louise, herd, Can I just you tell know? you, it's far simpler than that. There are certain people yeah. you just love to see coming through the door. It was oh. the likes of Paul Reynolds in the newsroom or George Lee. You over here, because I didn't have to do any work. I just let you talk. I sit yeah. back and I drink the coffee or the bottle of water or whatever, you know. Well, one, of, one of the finest stories, or the one, one that moved me, was the was the um, in Nicker Hill in Palace Green. Do you remember they reenacted the crucifixion? Oh, of that's the right. You were down there uh, for three days, and it was a kind of a community came together, and they kind of did like what Obama go does, and that was for me showed me as you as a great presenter because you wouldn't let the news come in, you wouldn't let a pin drop because the story was kind of, but for me it was very sacred, not necessarily religious but sacred. What they had created as a community and the brilliance that they had well, brought about. There was a neighbour of mine, a good friend of my mother's, and I hope she's listening now, Mary Joyce, and she often said, let the story to you. Yeah. In let other the words, story let it to all, you. Let the story to you. In other words, like in other times, you just don't... Jeremy Ferreter, what are you doing here? <laughs> I can assure you I'm not here to officially announce that you are history, Sean. That's OK. <laughs> That's very important. Far from it. I remember you interviewed Mary O'Rourke when she was 80 um, and you told her how well she was looking um, and she replied very quickly, you're looking very well yourself, Sean. I'm not going to ask you what age you are. <laughs> now we all know what age you are. Uh, no, I, I, I was really struck, I suppose, by the time you came in towards the end of 2013 and what has happened since in relation to the kind of questions I was always interrogating with you, you know, which really was mm-hmm. um, various aspects of our history, but also Anglo-Irish relations. And so much has happened in that short space of time. And I think when you're broadcasting through that kind of upheaval uh, and the scale of it, uh, when you consider, for example, that was shortly before President Michael D. Higgins went to the UK for the first formal visit by right. the Irish head of state uh, to the UK. And we were there with a fabulous OB in Windsor. And, yeah. and there was all sorts of talk about the friendship and the warmth that many people thought was not achievable in Anglo-Irish relations, mm. that we'd reached this high point on the back of the Queen's visit in 2011, which you would also covered under other programmes. And then two years later, you were grappling, like so many broadcasters, with this question. What does Brexit mean? After we had been told Brexit means Brexit. Mm. Uh, And the way that drama played out, and it was a reminder, I suppose, of not just the tortured history between ourselves and Britain, but also the way in which a lot of issues that we thought were settled were suddenly back in the frame. There was a return to the coarseness and the distrust. And there was also, I suppose, the the challenge of, of, of trying to keep coming back to the same subject again and again, because we had to, because it was a vital question of Mm. our national interest and it was a vital current affairs story. Um, And in a sense, British politics was becoming Irish politics. And for someone who's so steeped, obviously, in in, in current affairs and a current affairs background, I mean, you would have broadcast through an awful lot of the very dark days 
uh, the troubles, absolutely, the convulsions absolutely. in Irish politics um, as a result of what was going on. I remember on. particularly, and I, for people who maybe are able to see us on television, well, actually, it's blocked out. I'm wearing my This Week tie. Uh, this is a tie that was produced. There were just 100 of them produced on the 10th anniversary of the This Week programme, which is probably where I was at my happiest in all my years here. Um, but uh, the, uh, the This Week programme, I always remember, it was the night after uh, Ireland had beaten Italy, was it in Italia? Sorry, in, 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 in was it Giant Stadium 1994? 1994, and yeah. there was the, there was the, the shooting then in... Um, in the north where the guys went into the pub and shot guys shot about six people in Lochan Island and that sort of where you're you're crashing the joy uh, and we did this as a song but it didn't go down too well with some people but I felt it kind of captured the moment um, where we have the commentary of the goal and then we have people talking about that shooting and then Dick Spring coming on as Minister for Foreign Affairs and there were just such contrasts Mm -hmm. and even even the day before the Brexit referendum People might remember in France in June 2016, the European Football Championships were on. And both the Republic and Northern Ireland were playing and were getting along very well. The supporters were mingling and there was a comment in the French sports newspaper for atmosphere, Ireland is unified. And the very next day you had the Brexit referendum and suddenly everything uh, was thrown up in the air. Uh, and an awful lot of uncertainty returned. And oh, of for sure. that spilled over into Northern Ireland politics as well. Yeah. Um, Niamh, a quick um, note here from somebody that just wanted to pass on their best wishes today. Dear Sean, last week, upon hearing your announcement that you plan to retire from RTE, I wrote to you to send my best wishes and to thank you for your enormous contribution to journalism and public service broadcasting. Today, as you are working on your last morning radio show, may I reiterate my tribute to you for your many years of informing the people of Ireland and contributing to the enrichment of public debate in our country. We will miss your voice and insights and being able to refer to matters and people having been on Sean O'Rourke. Short of seeing you make the much speculated upon appearance on Dancing with the Stars, you should have the hips for it from all the golf and the tango will be a doddle. I'm sure we will hear from you as you enter the next chapter of your life. May I join with your colleagues and many friends in wishing you every happiness, health and fulfilment as you lash into this new chapter of your life. Berbanach don Michael D. Higgins, Uchtaron the <laughs> Oh, well, isn't that just beautiful? Mm. And uh, thank you so much, Uchtaron. I have to say, one of the shortest train journeys I was ever on, I was going down to see my late mother, who gave me lots of advice over the years, most notably, mind your good job, and I like to think I've done that. But Michael D. got on the train as we were heading for Galway one Saturday morning, and he entertained me. It was like being at a one-man show about his time as minister. We know Des O'Malley famously said, I think he'll go mad in government. And uh, <laughs> he had a ball. He gave us TG Carr. He gave us so many cultural institutions, the black box in Galway, yeah, the sure. theatre up in Letterkenny, yeah. the one in, in Port Leisha. And he just entertained me from start to finish about what it was like working with the civil servants, the, the, the cute whores and the guys who were sort he of trying to pull He has a lot of stories to, to tell. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. A great yeah. entertainer. Well, I was doing a trawl of the archives as well, looking at some of the, the dominant themes that you've covered, particularly on this programme since 2013. And what's really striking, and we've, we've heard aspects of it there, it's the power of personal testimony. And you've referred to it as well. Yes. The kind of people that you would have spoken to. That's the way radio changed, Mm. uh, you know, over over the course of the last few decades. It opened up an awful lot of hidden histories, an awful lot of very difficult stories, very difficult aspects of our past, including institutionalisation and the treatment of women and the status of women and the scandals in healthcare and policing issues. 
Um, but to hear the testimony of mm. people who were directly affected by it, you know, that was a very uh, decisive shift, I suppose, in, in, in the way we dealt with our past and the way we tried to confront some of those very difficult issues on those dark and corners. so it will go on. And uh, I, I'm really proud of the fact that my, my first uh, firstborn child is one of the great troublemakers of our time with the best sense, uh, yeah. Dr. Maeve O'Rourke, and done a lot mm. of good work. Can but I look, bring you um, the voice of some of the listeners? Because as we know, you've had a deluge of... <laughs> the postman has been very busy. Um, thank you for all you've done for this country, listeners and myself. Many a lonely day with young small children and no family near me and my husband gone till 6pm. Your voice brought friendship, humour, information and a voice into my kitchen. That's just from MM. I thought it was a really nice one because I was the same when I was on maternity leave myself. The radio is your best friend. Just a short note to say how much I enjoyed your programme over the last seven years. Those seven coincided with two maternity leaves and career breaks from teaching. Your knowledge, empathy and sense of humour will be greatly missed by me and no doubt by plenty of others. And one in particular, Sean, which I thought was lovely. And this person says uh, they live in Southampton. The show gives them great sight into what's going on every day. Um, and she listens in. Her name is Sheila Ferrity. And she says her husband always says, well, what's the world according to Shauna Rourke looking like today? She doesn't know what she's going to do from now on. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what she's going to do. Because, you know, I mean, we need to get over ourselves a bit here. Because, you know, the exact same team is going to be here on Monday morning. I'll be happily poking around my greenhouse or on my <laughs> raised beds or whatever. And Sarah McInerney, a good Galway woman, is here for the next yep. few months. And she will bring us exactly the same uh, detail on the stories. And she'll have exactly the same people supporting her. But, you know, like, you know, the show goes on. I mean, let nobody be under any illusions. Leave least of all me, I, as I said earlier today, I think I am the walking, talking, living proof that nobody is indispensable. Now, here's another one, a tweet uh, from Ninth West. It says, I hear I'm not able to cope with this last day business. Big shoes to fill August Marshinja. Struggling to get any bloody work done listening to today. So our final show. Uh, from, well, anyway, this is your view. Broadcasting legend. Always going to be a good distraction. Best of luck on the next journey, says Gavin Beckton. Uh, Oliver Callan had me crying with laughter. Good luck to you, Sean, says Declan he could be a good friend of mine. Tweet at Today SOR. Well, Neil Lyons. <laughs> well, what heard, else have you got? We've heard from Oliver Callan there earlier and we've also heard from Michael D. Higgins, but a few other political heavyweights have also asked to pay a short tribute to you. There's two things I'd say about Sean. One, you'd always make sure that you're very prepared for the interview. As a politician, you never go into an interview unprepared, but you'd always know that Sean would know his stuff. And um, as some of my party colleagues have discovered, a Sean O'Rourke interview can go very badly if you're not prepared for it. The second thing is a very mischievous sense of humour. One anecdote springs to mind, and that was Glenty's, I think it was 2014, and he was chairing the panel, and it was me, uh, Micheál Martin and Mary Lou MacDonald. And he kind of quipped that he may have three future Taoiseach on the panel. So since 2014, I've been Taoiseach. Um, Micheál Martin may well become Taoiseach at some stage over the next couple of years. And who knows, Mary Lou MacDonald might too. So you might have got great odds in 2014 for that particular prediction. One was always on the alert going into the interview by Sean O'Rourke. You had a sense that a trapdoor could open at any moment because he was very informed, incredible attention to detail, authoritative and very well read. I think he was an outstanding public service broadcaster. I think he had an iconic voice. He had a consistency in terms of quality and standards that would be very hard to surpass. I think when Sean is going to interview, he'll interview you. Like, he's not one to stand off an issue or not to challenge and challenge hard. Certainly we had interviews that we, we went at at Hammer and Tongs. It was like a battle of wits. He's a very, very formidable interviewer. 
and you can always be sure if Sean is interviewing you, you're not going to get an easy ride. I always thought he was a great broadcaster, very well informed and very thorough, very searching. Uh, but what I remember most and like best was when the ad breaks came or when the 11 o'clock news came on, we always engaged in some banter and uh, it was very witty, very funny. And he's going to be a big loss. I'm sorry he's going and I hope he'll uh, reappear again as a broadcaster in some other capacity. I think that Sean O'Rourke brought a benign skepticism to his job. He and I did go toe-to-toe on many, many occasions. You'll know that people from the North have a love-hate relationship with RTE for all sorts of fairly obvious reasons, but I always thought that Sean brought a bit of good humour. A person who was listening to what he was being told with, with a twinkle in his eye. I have to say I enjoy listening to Sean and to the programme these days more than I did being on it. I remember in 1980 when Charles Hottie came down to Castle Bar to have a plaque unveiled at the house where he was reputed to be born. And I think that was Sean O'Rourke's first engagements as a political correspondent for the press. And I met him in Marsh House in Castlebar, and I said to him going up the stairs, Sean, you know, you'd need eyes in the back of your head for a job like this. And he said, that's for effing well sure. Sean O'Rourke, as an interviewer, was tough. Uh, You're never going to get easy questions or an easy ride. But the big thing, I think, in public service broadcasting is that we're, we're allowed to base on somebody like Sean, who's anchored two of the biggest programs in public service broadcasting in the state for, you know, 25 years. And that job and that role has huge responsibility for him as well as the people he's asking questions to. And I think he's done that in a commendable way. He can find the hard edge when he needs to. He can find humour when he needs to. When he needs to soften a situation, he can do that. I think he has an ability to ride the waves with a great degree of competence and a great degree of confidence. And that, of course, is a mixture of skill and experience, but also a human empathy, a nice that he has. And that's what I admire in him. He's not going to go away. I mean, I know he's going to find a lot of other things to do. And at 65, we have not heard the last of Sean O'Rourke. That's what we'd like to think, isn't it? Well, thank you to uh, Iroh McAleese for that. Uh, I'm absolutely bowled over. I knew mm. none of this was coming, Neil Lyons. Uh, you have a lot to answer for. <laughs> Not many people know this. It mightn't be that important. But Michael Noonan and I share a birthday, the 22nd oh. of May. And uh, I also got a mug made in his honour after a particularly robust uh, piece of engagement. It said, get off the stage. And it's there. And I, I, have, I think I have one of it left and I might just send it down to him in Limerick. Uh, Jerry Adams, I remember being at the Sinn Féin or that in Killinard, and this is before they were respectable enough to be let into the Mansion House and other such places, not to mention Dáil Éireann. The 1994 Sinn Féin Ardesh, Jerry Adams made a speech and it was clear to me watching it and it was out there for the This Week programme. This is historic. He was clearly leading his people in the direction of the path of peace and I actually have a copy of that speech. I came across it a couple of days ago and uh, I don't know, dear, do you uh, go along with this? But you could see he was just bringing them forward and Albert Reynolds was working as well towards it and sure enough, that that, that um, August, I think it was the 31st, it all came together. Nia, is that thank. story true about Enda Ken- he was saying that he thought that was your first assignment, that uh, a Monsignor was launching 
a plaque for Charlie Holly's yes, birthplace. Yes, tablets actually. Flynn said there were tablets on right. the house where Charlie was born. <laughs> one on either side of the door. And he said that he thought that was your first gig as a reporter. You were only 20 It was, it was, it was my yeah. introduction to politics. I always remember, uh, that was the first time I met uh, not just Charlie Holly, but PJ Mara as well. And we had a few social drinks, maybe too many in my case. But before the evening was out, I remember telling PJ what some female reporter, who I won't name, uh, was suggesting she might write about the thing. He says, well, if she writes that, I'll break her legs. <laughs> right. Yeah, that was the type of banter that was going on then. All right. But Sean, were you also the first person, or were you the person that Charlie Hawhey said the thing to about the Chinese emperors? I mean, you got some absolute yeah, crackers yeah, in yeah. your day. But like, basically, that caused a heave. Uh, well, it, yeah, it certainly put the wind up the likes of Noel Dempsey uh, and, and a few more like that. You remind us of that, Dermot. And, uh, well, I mean, that was the thing about Hawhey. There was all this speculation. That was uh, around 1989 when you uh, would have come in. I was doing the Leaving Cert at the time, and I remember being furious. I was 17, and there was a general election on in June, and I wasn't able to vote right. uh, because we did the Leaving Cert when we were 17 at that stage, and I had very strong political views. Uh, but this question of how long Hawhey might uh, hang on, you know. And it, well, it was a stock question, you know. But it was. But I mean, you're talking as well about you being able to read the uh, the signals or read between the lines. You were talking there about Jerry Adams as well. You know, the very careful choreography that went mm. into the various pieces of the peace process. And for journalists and broadcasters trying to get into the inner sanctum or to get some sense of, of what was going on behind the scenes because none of this happened in any way spontaneously. Yeah. They were very carefully choreographed between Belfast and Dublin uh, and London. And that story in itself, that history of the peace process and how it came into being and you know whether or not people could uh, take their yeah, followers also, with them. The great thing about Albert, for instance, I mean, you could go in and interview Albert and then you might just sit back and drink a cup of tea with him for half an hour. And I remember... At a particularly difficult time, it was just after the um, the, the Shankill bombing and uh, there was a particularly difficult exchange at a European summit in Brussels and it was hammer and tongs, you know. And uh, it was after Adams had carried the coffin of uh, Thomas, Thomas Begley, Begley, I think, was yeah. the bomber. And I mean, Major really laid into Albert over that. And, you know, how can we be talking to these people? And uh, he says, look, I said to my John, he says, like this now, he says, if Adams didn't carry that coffin, he could be in the next one. Yeah. You know, and that was that was the yeah. way Albert. And it was also about Albert saying, "I have to do this for my yes. constituency in order to bring them uh, with me." And I think that phrase he used, "benign scepticism," is a very good one, because you know you did need that. There needed to be an interrogation. There needed to be uh, a scepticism. Yeah. Uh, and of course, an awful lot of what was being said in public was not reflected in what was going on privately. And that was a particular was challenge. Sure. To yeah, to the yeah. bottom of that. Actually, I got a lovely text this morning from the 80-year-old cocooner, Sean Donnan, one of the great diplomats mm. of this country, wishing me the best. And he was a guy who did his bit for Ireland. Uh, he certainly did an awful lot in Washington um, and, and subsequently. Uh, but look, we're going to have to take another break. Tweet at Today SOR. And I think that might be the last time you'll hear that. Uh, Mary Louise O'Donnell, you've got something you wanted to read for us. Well, no, it's just something that I was thinking about in the last few days in relation to retirement at 65, generally for the civil service, for broadcasters, for people in all walks of life. And I just thought, you know, in relation to the government have ignored the elders in relation to the closing down of the post offices, completely ignored them, and it was on post who really came to the fore. They've ignored the elders in relation to the banks and over-automated them. They've paid little attention to the elders in nursing 
nursing homes or in the community. They've allowed um, and encouraged, in fact, officers to retire from the army when we, this is the very time we need them and in the future. Um, and we are losing their experience as a nation. They've allowed huge supermarkets to open towns and exit towns, closing down country business. And we are incapable at the moment of forming a government. Um, and we have a pandemic sweeping our country, which is in somewhat control. And we have, um, we're going to have finances and lives left catastrophically truncated after this. And we have now decided that 65 is an, is an arbitrary number, which we will pull. Experience is really what I'm talking about and set it down and cocoon it in a certain way. And we, I don't think we have enough respect for experience. And we have a tendency to believe that the thought for the day, the immediacy, whatever happens today and whoever's there today is the most um, important when most of us think when we're just repeating an awful lot of life and, and we just believe that the thought for the day is the only one. And the, the reason I say this, Sean, is and it's really uh, it's to do with a lot of people who are in their 60s or 70s with talent, ability, energy, intelligence, grown-up questioning, grown-up responses, um, grown-up ideas, research, um, that they insight. Uh, we need them more than ever now in our country and we need them to be given a platform more than ever in our country and it's all very well with the experience of age should be put to the fore uh, well, I think I know, I, but I say it generally and I, and I would include you in it so that in some way in the future there has to be a platform for this kind of experience and insight and intelligent and safe hands because if somebody said to you and I've worked with you for seven years with all the stories I've come in not with and the magic not forgetting the family matters you know I mean yes that we did on television that, yes my I'm training I'm not even the best broadcaster in my own oh, house, no. for God's sake. No, know? no, but the train. But I, it, it was safe hands, and there's the brilliance in safe hands. It's grown-up hands, and you know that somebody's going to get a beating here, an intellectual beating, or somebody's uh, going to get never. a real thinking. Uh, we're coming to the end because they. Well, Jeremy, we normally are very respectful of embargoes on this program, but you know we're always <coughs> driven by news, and I'm going to be a small bit naughty, and I'm going to break an embargo by ten minutes um, because it's uh, just coming to our system. <coughs> That uh, the uh, and this is breaking news. The religious sisters of charity are to gift uh, to the people of Ireland lands at St Vincent's Healthcare Group to the value of two hundred million. And there also is a headline saying Holy See approval for transfer received. Now you better give us some context on that. Well, I think this is very good news. I mean the politics of healthcare in this country has been tortured for so long uh, and it's really in focus also at the moment because of what we're living through. Uh, the Religious Sisters of Charity story obviously goes back to Mary Aikenhead uh, in the early 19th century and you know with that order and the nuns generally made an extraordinary contribution uh, to looking after the welfare of the poor um, and, and in healthcare generally but what that evolved into over time of course uh, was something somewhat more controversial in relation to control um, and in relation to the ethos of the various institutions that they presided over and the land that they owned and that has been central to some of the debates we've had in, in, in the last couple of years uh, about the nature of our healthcare system and the vested interests and the, and the power brokers but to read that clarity that this religious order uh, is gifting this land worth 200 million to the uh, people of Ireland um, I think that's exactly what we need to hear at the moment I think coming out when we do come out of this crisis we're going to have very searching questions to answer mm -hmm. about the nature of our health system and what we want mm -hmm. and this is the kind of development I think that could contribute to a change model of healthcare and there's a weight of history of course uh, behind it <coughs> some of it very difficult some of it very inspirational but enormous service as well having absolutely been, uh, and we need, we need to acknowledge that uh, this is a very good news story 
story. And it's good to be bold, Sean, for one last time in breaking the rules. Uh, OK, by all of about 10 minutes, Neve, just a few more quick texts. Yeah, we have a couple of letters. Um, There's one person in particular, I just thought it was a lovely one. Uh, every morning for the past few years, you've been with me in the milking parlour. Your programme comes on just as I'm washing up after feeding the calves. Um, <laughs> I often wonder, do radio presenters really realise how connected they are to their listeners? That's from Nuala Murray from uh, Culla Balanasloe, County Galway. Um, Another person from Tralee County Kerry said, Dear Sean, I will miss your dulcet tones so much. It was like having a good friend drop in every day while I have breakfast. Um, and then another one from Barbara Kelly in Black Rock. You always manage to hold the politicians to account and also show real empathy towards those people who came on the show while experiencing difficult times. Well, thank you so much. I just want to read something from a book that I'm reading at the moment. And now that I'm going to have a bit of time on my hands, I'm going to get to finish it by Chris Matthews. He was Tip O'Neill's spokesperson in Washington on the hill and it's called Bobby Kennedy A Raging Spirit and in the course of it he talked about how Kennedy his first public appearance uh, after the assassination of Jack uh, was at the Friendly Sons and they were all Sons of St. Patrick uh, dinner in um, uh, in, in New York uh, uh, in uh, March of 1964 and he talked about and this is just giving some context he said uh, the English government during the famine uh, at its head Queen Victoria who'd assumed the throne eight years before for at the untested age of 18 uh, was very little sim- was, was, was not sympathetic. He says in February 1847 it was announced in the House of Commons that 15,000 people a day were dying in Ireland and the young monarch was so moved by the ongoing tragedy as a sarcastic Robert Kennedy would remark more than a century later that she offered five pounds to the Society for Irish Relief. So everything is about context, everything is relative Dermot. The the, the uh, Queen Victoria uh, saga in relation uh, to the Irish famine was to cause endless uh, controversy. What was she known as in Ireland? She was known as the Famine Queen, and that wasn't meant in a positive way. Right, and to end, something we recorded earlier. Right, time now for some thank yous, starting with DGD and Head of Content Jim and, of course, Noel Curran, who put his faith in me to defend the Barna Boyle back in 2013. My love affair with broadcasting began in 1982, starting with a long lunch with Mike Burns and Kevin Healy. I've worked with some great bosses here, people like Wesley Boyd, Michael Good, Ed Mulhall, Joe Mulholland, people who gave me some great breaks and forgave the occasional screw-up. And the countless people behind the scenes, the fabulous sound engineers like Mark McGrath, who's manned the controls today. He was on the news at one that day that will haunt me forever when my friend Veronica Gearn was shot. Some lovely bouquets have been thrown my way in recent days and I accept them with gratitude, but a presenter without a good production crew is like a goalkeeper without a full backline. In their absence, that goalie will be picking a lot of balls from the net. In the newsroom, my thanks to Barbara and Bernadette and Colma and Shane Mack and DBY and DMC and Linda and Deirdre Mack and all the correspondents in Dublin and the region people like Pascal and Maluli and other colleagues, especially Gavin and Rachel and Dabo and Ingrid and loads more. I was, as I said earlier, a bit homesick when I moved across from the newsroom, across the campus to the radio centre, where another new family of colleagues has grown up around me. Thanks to fellow presenters Tubbs and Mary and Ronan and Joe and Ray, among others, producers Kay and Hugh and Connor, Elaine and Mary and Margaret and, of course, Regina and loads more people like Amy as well doing the research. And right up to the present times with the reporters Paddy and Brian and Evelyn, they do great stuff, as do Geraldine and Deirdre and Alistair and Rachel and Cora and most especially Tara, who runs a brilliant ship as the producer in charge. Guys, you know how important to me you've all been and I can never thank you enough.
Nor indeed can I thank my family enough. They have put up with a lot and I know that I'm not even the best broadcaster in my own house, let alone anywhere else. So I say farewell with something our six young adults worked on as a surprise for Caroline's big roundy birthday a couple of years ago. Maeve, Ashling, Kevin, Declan, Sean and Fergus. You can take it away now. May the road rise to meet you May the wind be at your back May the sun shine warm upon your face upon your face May the rain fall softly on your fields and until we meet again May you keep safe in the gentle Time for meeting, a time to say goodbye. In all things, God is near, always guiding your way. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind be at your back. May the sun shine. Oh, yeah.